Coming to you from the M&M Exterior Studio in Nooksville, Virginia, this is Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle, the introvert's extrovert. She talks to people so you don't have to. For now. Well, thanks for flushing it out with me today. Why don't you tell everyone who you are, Havala, my guest this week. I'm Havala Van Roll and I am have strategy coaching. I am a nutrition and health coach. Um, I specify, specialize in teaching you the how. Um, a lot of people know you should. I know what I should do. I know I should be doing this, but I don't always know how. So I'm the how person. So I teach you how to do it. I teach you how to plan, how to cook, how to make it simple. So a healthy life simplified really is about making it simple. It's not always easy, but it is simple. And so I really break it down into that. And we do spend a lot of time in food and nutrition because that's my, that's my happy place. I like food and nutrition. <laughs> um, but I'm also a group fitness instructor. Um, I've been active my whole life. I, I'm very passionate about getting people up and moving and healthy. But it doesn't have to be hard. And it's not going to the gym every day and working out for an hour. It's literally using your sport watch. You know, if you have a, a watch like an Apple watch or a Fitbit or whatever, you're going to vacuum the house put a workout on and see what, how many calories you actually burn. Cause let me tell you, I come out in a full sweat when I'm done vacuuming my house. I want credit for that. And maybe that'll get me to vacuum. Yes. <laughs> That's I great. That, I was sort of getting 150 minutes of exercise and 700 active calories. I'm like, yes, vacuuming. <laughs> well, it's the little things that add up, right? Like right. I know for me, I am struggling and working through this whole all or nothing subconscious mentality. Yes. And so it's just need, you know, but when I'm in a good place, that's kind of where I am. So um, I love that you are the how person. So I would love to hear more about you and like how, I know we talked a little beforehand, getting ready for the call of, you know, you kind of have been on your own personal journey. And I think that's the best. I mean, every guest it's like, we've all gone through stuff and it gets us to where we are and why we're passionate about the things we're passionate about. So I'd love to hear more about you. And then of course, I also selfishly would like some of the hows today. So if anyone else needs a little bit of the hows, then let's make sure to wrap some of those into The beautiful thing is I'm about to start a how program, a six week how program. um, And that's healthy meal simplified. So what I do in six weeks is I walk you through how to create, um, see there's the how, how to create, um, a, a meal plan that is not overwhelming, that helps eliminate the decision fatigue, that creates a consistent budgetary understanding of your food costs every week, because that's important, right? Like We're all working on budgets right now. We all need to know how much money is going in and coming out. And people often say, you know, I go out and I buy all this food and then it rots in my fridge. Well, that's a huge waste of money. What else are you spending? You know, so it's helping kind of balance all of that. We do cooking demonstrations, so I'll walk you through a number of recipes. So you'll leave with like recipes, the how-tos, how to plan, and a 30-day meal plan that you can repeat and people won't feel bored because, you know, and then I often get all the moms who are like, well, I want to eat healthy, but my whole family fights me on it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to fix that. Like we work on that. Like everything from having those hard and uncomfortable conversations to creating better mindsets for mom and the whole family around food and what is or isn't healthy or how to eat or not eat. And even really basic things that sound silly, but like kitchen organization, make your kitchen functional so that you can find things quickly and it makes it less frantic, right? When you're trying to cook something, if everything's where it's supposed to be. So my sort of journey is (laughs) 
Well, and I was going to stop. I'm going to, well, before you even go in, I'm like, okay, what I'm excited about. Cause so for me with fleshing it out, I love talking about the stuff, you know, that like we don't always talk about and kind of peeling back the layers and, you know, there's lots of great fitness and things like that out there. And I've had, I've loved talking to all of the amazing fitness people because I feel like I've been lucky to have people, especially on the show too, who are like very holistic minded. Like it's the whole self, it's the internal and the external. It's not just do X, Y, and Z. And especially now that we're coming out of this quarantine, I know I can speak for myself personally that, you know, it's been a year. There's been a lot of emotional, you know, coping mechanisms. And one of the things that I, that is coming across my feet is kind of that whole anti-diet culture mentality. You know, it's kind of like, get ready for your, um, your beach body, get your beach body ready. Like, well, why is it my be- can my body in its state now be a beach body, you know, like, yeah, not really wanting to pass that on to, you know, my kid, like, I already have that crap that I'm dealing with. Yeah. I really don't want to pass that on. So exactly. I love your meal planning approach and kind of working versus that thought. So that's why I'm excited to like, okay, let's kind of real get some of this real crap people struggle yeah. with. No, and again, I think that that's part of it too, is like, so for my journey it, to, to really kind of compress a really <laughs> large branchy tree. We all got them. Yep. We all got them, but I want to hear We're some of that tree top, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Right. No, so I was super, super blessed to be raised by a mom who was interested in nutrition and health and started doing all the things that are relatively trendy now before anybody even knew what they were. So I was super blessed in that I grew up knowing things that I assumed everybody knew and was totally shocked and horrified when I found out nobody knew these things. I was like, what, 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 why not? What, what are these things? Tell me, Havala, tell me. (laughs) Well, just things, things like, you know, carbohydrates. So I did a whole thing on carbohydrates recently, right? Carbohydrates get a bad rap. Well, anything that is not fat or protein, guess what it is? A carbohydrate. So that means that vegetables are carbohydrate. Fruit is a carbohydrate. Grains, obviously, carbohydrate. Even the ones that are protein-based. Beans, everybody's like, but beans are protein. No, no, beans are actually carbohydrates first, protein second. Like nuts are fat first, protein second. So nuts go into the fat category, not the protein category. Beans go into the carbohydrates category, not the protein category. So just things like that, right? Now, some of this I've had to learn, relearn as I've gotten older because our diet culture, our eating culture, it's pervasively filled with bad information. So when my child, I had my second child, had really bad food allergies when he was born. I was like, how do you have really bad food allergies? Like, we've done everything right. But he did. And he had like weird food allergies, weird, like coconut. Who's allergic to coconut? My child was. I know someone. <laughs> right, right. I have a friend whose daughter's allergic to avocado. Like avocados? Oh my God, my life would be over without avocados. I, after my second child, I started having massive, I've always had acid reflux, but it was pretty managed naturally for a long time. After my second child, it was out of control and there was no managing it. I ended up on, on drugs as well as my child. We were both on heavy antacids and those are not good to be on long-term. And he was on it for a very long time. And I was like, nobody in the regular doctor world could tell us why and how to get him off. And everything we tried failed. So we finally went to a naturopath and said, 
I said, fix it. I said, just fix it. Like we need a new plan and this is not working. She in 15 minutes was like, oh, I know what's wrong. And here's what you need to do. And probably it took us a year to get them completely off the pharmaceuticals because we went really slow because we didn't want to create a flare. There's all these complexities to it, but yeah, it, it took us a year to get it off. But within two weeks of doing what she had suggested that we do, his acid reflux almost completely disappeared. And he's now been completely pharmaceutical free wow. for, oh God, he's almost 13. So wow. 12, so nine, 10, 11, 12, so almost four years. Wow. Um, he does take deglyceride and licorice every single day, but he can take that for the rest of his life and there's no side effects. Yeah. So it was having a child who had serious issues. And then myself having really bad things between a really stressful job. My daughter got very, very sick and I had a son who couldn't eat things. And I yeah. was a bloated, gross mess. I felt disgusting. I'd never in my entire life felt like that. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I ended up having to take dairy out of my diet, which was like, stab me in the heart, make me cry. Right. I ate dairy six times a day. So when you're like, I could never live without, trust me, you can, and you will be better for eliminating whatever it is that's creating distress in your body. And you will be like, why did I resist that so much? Like, yes, I love dairy, but I like feeling better more. (laughs) That's like the whole emotional thing too. Like when you're in an, I can just speak from experience. It's like when you're in a place where like for, I've said before, like with the year that it's been, I needed that hit of serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, whatever the stuff that gets produced when I'm having that good stuff. Yeah. It was like, okay, to get through yeah. this season, that kind of took priority, right. but I know that I don't want to stay there. And, but then there's that, like, that's where that rub is where it's like, Oh, I yeah. know that I will be happier when I am not doing this, you but it's so it out of your system and start over, <laughs> but it's so hard to like, but that, you know, but here's why it's so hard. So do you want to understand the interesting, and this is a small tangent and we'll get back to my story in one second, but of course the I do. reason that food has that emotional hit and creates that serotonin happy feeling and that melatonin happy feeling and that dopamine happy feeling is because we think of those hormones as brain hormones. They are actually 70 to 90% of those hormones are produced in your gut. Mm. they're directly produced by the food that you eat and the health of your gut. So, and in this season of quarantine, there's been a lot of conversation about immune support and immune systems and, you know, long haul COVID people versus short term. And what has come out is dysbiosis means an imbalance of in your gut, right? So COVID specifically, because that's where we are right now, creates dysbiosis in the gut. Well, so does so many other autoimmune diseases as well as poor nutrition. So back to my story. So that's why that food, that, that there's that happy connection. It's not just emotional eating. There's a physiological response to food in your gut that sends hormones to your brain that goes, happy, happy. All connected. <laughs> See, this is all that stuff. That's why when people are like, I mean, it's kind of the whole like anxiety thing too. You just calm right. down. Like they'll just call. Oh yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for just telling me to calm down. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> like it's, so I feel like that's the same with food. It's like when as the way you explained it, there's that huge connection and you know, it's not just as easy as oh, I'm just like, not going to do that. Right. And, and it's the same thing when you're talking about healthy eating, right. Or when mm-hmm. you're talking about 
exercise or yes, I know I should go do it, but how do I build it into a day that already feels overwhelming? How do I add it to one more thing of where everybody's already asking 17 things of me? I don't have time to ask one thing of myself. How do I do this? Like, ah, and that's where I was. So I had a sick kid. Um, she was in and out of the hospital. She had reoccurring brain tumors that were creating trauma. She's, she's great now. She's uh, good now. She's, good. She's almost five years you. stable. So we're good. But it was a really, really stressful time. So I had a child who had had severe acid reflux. He didn't sleep for two and a half years. I got 18 months of sleep and then she got diagnosed and it was like, oh, okay, I got nothing left. I got nothing left. Now I am a stress starver. So that means that when I am stressed, I don't eat. Do you think, well, you lose a lot of weight? Yes, I do lose a lot of weight. But the tragedy is, is that the second I start eating again, not only do I gain back what I've lost, I then start to add because my body goes, oh, we just went through a famine. We got to make sure we're prepared the next time. Mm. So stress starving, it's not any better than stress eating. It's just a different problem. So my metabolism was a mess, right? Just a total disaster. And I had never in my entire life had this problem. So for me, this was like a really new, scary, weird space. And I did not understand where I was or how I got there. There was, there was a lot going on. As I went through my daughter coming in and out, like she would get better for a while and things would get worse. And in one of those sort of rest, rest periods that we had, that's what I called them was rest periods. One of those respites that we had where she had been for a longer period of time stable, we felt like we had a minute to breathe. I started diving deeper into personal development because I was like, this is more than just food. Like I eat pretty well. Yes, it's not great, but I eat pretty well. I do still exercise some, not as much as I was, but I still do exercise some. And I was like, something is still not right because I'm doing all the physicality things, but there's something still, I'm disconnected. I'm I'm disconnected from my physical self a little bit. The emotional self was disconnected. And so that was about six, seven years ago. I started diving into personal development and went, what am I doing? I was in a career I did not love. Um, I've been in that career for a long time. I stayed in that career for 22 years. I did it for 20. Um, I left it like five times, but kept coming back to it because it was something that worked really intuitively for me. It was a high stress, high emotionally demanding industry though. And that wore me out. And I just, I got to the point where I was like, I I can't keep doing this because I got nothing left in the tank, nothing. Like, how do I refill my tank? And so that's how I got into personal development and started taking some group courses and some following some people and just started reading And then my daughter had a relapse and I sort of just put everything on hold. And it was in that rest, that first respite that I started that cooking coach, which was my first, actually it was my second iteration of this, but that's where I started that cooking coach. Cause what I wanted to do was I wanted to teach people how to cook for themselves. Like food is such an integral part of our lives. It is the one thing we all have to do every single day. We want to live. You have to, you have to eat. Food is social. Food is the one time people of, it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, even what language you speak. If you put food down, people come and all of a sudden it's neutral ground. Yep. Food is social, a social ability, right? Like food is the thing that connects people across generations, across cultures, across everything, right? Think about how hugely popular food food travel shows are and food cooking network, you know, the cooking networks and um, the baking shows and, you know, 
food is is visceral. It's, it's life. Basic need. Yeah. yeah, it's a basic need. So I wanted to help people connect to food in a healthier way and give them the skills that they needed. As I did that business and then had to put it on the shelf for a while because things got a little rough with my daughter again. Um, and that was a whole learning and growing process too. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be the coach I am today or the person I am today if we hadn't gone through that really, really challenging space. Um, yeah. You know, facing the possibility of mortality, not for yourself, but for a child mm-hmm. is, it's a little shattering and it's, it's very humbling. Um, and watching people around you have to deal with that and have to find a way to function forward was really, it brought clarity to a lot of what was good, right, or indifferent in my life um, for me personally and for us as a family. You said um, find a way to function forward. I thought that was really huge because when you're going through a crisis and I feel like that's, you know, one, just, I'm so glad your daughter is okay. And thank you for sharing that. Cause that's so heavy. Um, but it's a reality that is a reality. And so for a lot um, more people than we think, I mean, yeah. you know, childhood cancer and brain tumors and all of that gets almost no research. It gets very little press because there's no money in it for, and then people are like, Oh no, they're not trying to ignore children. No, they are. They are. The medical industry absolutely 100% ignores children. And wow. I had to do an all-out battle with Inova one yeah. year to get her surgery that she needed, a brain surgery that she needed, scheduled, yeah. because it landed in the middle of elective surgery season, and they literally took every pediatric surgeon off the schedule. I, I, I can't make this up. Yeah. So... I went to war with Inova and said, you fix it. You fix it now. Or I tell the world the hypocrisy that you're preaching right now. Because they're like, we're the premier children's hospital in the region. I was like, "Ah, not if you're not putting your kids first. And my thought in that was, I have the skills, I have the knowledge, and I have the ability to not just make this better for my child, but there were eight kids behind her waiting to be scheduled. And I know at least half of them didn't speak English well enough to know to fight this. Or wouldn't have had the confidence to go to the head of pediatrics at Inova and say, what are you going to do about this? Because if you don't fix it, you need to tell me who can fix it. And if you can't do that, I will go to the media and find out who does. I didn't want to put a lawyer up. I was like, I'll go to the media. Yeah. And it was like literally 15 minutes. He called me back. Every pediatric surgeon had their surgical spots back. They were checking in with our specific neurosurgeon daily to make sure he didn't have anybody who needed scheduling 15 minutes. The problem was solved because I stood up and said, no, that's not right. And you used your voice for yourself and others. Right. But how many parents, I mean, my thought was how many other parents don't know that they can challenge this or that they should Mm -hmm. challenge this or how many kids could potentially have life altering changes in their disease because they can't have Mm -hmm. surgery because it's not convenient for the hospital. Mm Hmm. So that was part of my realizing too, that, Mm. that this is not just about me and my family. Obviously that's who I advocate for first. And I advocate Mm -hmm. strongly and loudly and do not get in my freaking way. (laughs) Yeah. That's the fuel that, you know, propels you. So yeah. At the end of the day, it, it was also, 
okay, there's a need and I have the ability to fill that need. I need to step into that. And it was scary and, mm. and it's hard. And, and I'm not going to say that it's easy every day to put myself out there and be on social media. And, and, you know, every time I get a client or, or, or a client leaves, I'm like, did I fail? Did they not get anything? Am I okay? Like all that self-doubt and that, yeah. that, you know, but you're so confident and you're so strong. And I'm like, I'm not strong. I'm functioning forward. Like what other option do I have? Oh my gosh. I love that. I think I love that because we were in this compare. I mean, whether we can blame it on like social media culture, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I think it's just human instinct to compare and all that kind of stuff. And we give ourselves hard times where if the best we can do is to just function forward as long, you know, like good on us. When you're in crisis mode, that's definitely a big piece of it. Mm -hmm. And what I think I was really, what I kind of came out with it was in the middle of, so, so just to add some fun to that. So in the middle of all of that, my dad goes into full, full liver failure and needs a liver transplant and is basically on his deathbed. So we go up to new England to deal with that situation. My dad was young. He was 64 years old. My dad was young, young. Undiagnosed disease all of a sudden started uh, presenting. And in two years, he went from totally healthy to basically crashing. Wow. Crazy stuff. Needed a liver transplant. New England, nobody in New England would give him a liver transplant. Mm. Yes. Tell me you can't do something and watch me show you how you can. <laughs> Just who I am. And in that yep. particular space, I was very much in the, oh, no, oh, no, we're going to fix this mode. And I, so we did, so myself and I got two of my, two of my three siblings on and we started researching and we found out that indeed New England is one of the worst places to get a liver transplant. So we said, I had two of us were living here in the Washington DC area and my brother lives out in California. And I said, come to Virginia because you can list at Hopkins and at UVA because they're two different districts. He waffled and waffled. Finally, we got him and my mom to agree. He came down, did the interview with Hopkins, and 10 weeks later, he had a liver. Wow. 10 weeks. But, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Like, when, when it rains, it pours, right? Truth. So I had a catastrophic Achilles injury in July of 2016, mid-chemo with my daughter, mid-liver failure with my dad, and I now can't walk. And now you busted. Hell, I your... can hardly get out of bed for eight weeks. Eight weeks. I've never sat down for more than five minutes in my whole life. Oh my gosh. So oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that was my um so I came out of that year in a very <clears throat> tangled and dark headspace. Mm-hmm. I had experienced things I had never experienced before. I, for the first Mm. time in my life, didn't trust my own physical body to function the way I needed it to. And the first Achilles surgery didn't work. My Achilles was so messed up from a pharmaceutical I had taken years earlier that it took a second surgery and a a tendon transplant to actually make it functional. Wow. Um, So then I had to repeat what I had done in 2016 in 2018, only this time with a little more planning and a little more support because everybody else wasn't in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. And that's probably a big part of it too. You know what I mean? Cause like your energy was being put in all these other places. So, right. So it was, it was, you know, and that, 
So in doing that, it was also coming out of that that I said, okay, this is where I went back into really hardcore personal development in 2018 and said, Mm -hmm. I need to really figure out my headspace because that's where I'm stuck. I can do the physical stuff. I can eat. We, because of the meal plan that I have in place that actually stole straight up from my mother, um, because <laughs> she hated to cook, she hated planning meals, and it's brilliant, it's genius, it works wonderfully, and I'm like, everybody should know this, like, everybody should know how to do this, and so I came out of that space with a lot more clarity, but understanding that before I could go out and be successful in business and successful as a coach of any kind, I had to get my space right. I had to start here inside in that internal mm-hmm. space and, and sort of, I'll use your, your thing and flush out those. Yeah. It's like I, my, so my company's have strategy and I love the word have because I'm like, have connection, have a plan, have strategy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yay. How many times can I repeat this and use it? It's beautiful, right? It's like, that's what you want. No. So I had to flush that out. I really did. I had to remove those roadblocks. And I did a lot of the work on myself. And I was looking forward into what I wanted to do in the future and knowing where I was. And what I needed to do was compress my timeline, right? Like I knew the work that needed to be done. And I knew that if I went and did it incrementally on my own, which I could have done, it will take years. And I needed it to take months. Because for me to really launch into the next phase of my life, which then became half strategy coaching. So I took that cooking coach and rolled it into what used to be my corporate consulting, which was half half strategy consulting. Um, And I made it in my coaching practice. And I really went back into holistic, whole human coaching because though my passion is food and nutrition and, and how to do all of that, the skills are good and important and really, really necessary, but unless we change the way we think about and approach and process, and unless we unpack, shake out and ditch what doesn't work for us and keep what does, we can have all the knowledge in the world, but it doesn't mean anything. It, it, it you doesn't just keep repeating yes. the same patterns. Like you, I mean, I'm speaking from experience. You, I keep thinking like, oh, I figured this out. I've done this. And it's like, oh, it's not one and done. It's continual. It's next level, new devil. <laughs> yeah. And when I, life like, happens, you I, regret, you revert back to stuff, your comfort zones and things like that. And right. so. Yeah. So I just read a book recently um, by Barbara Hussin called Rewiring for Wealth. Mm. But what it really, what she talks about extensively is the nerve, the physical. So there's, t- our brain is two parts. Our brain is the tangible, physical, actual mushy bits. And it's the intangible sort of cerebral that doesn't actually land, but mm-hmm. they, inter- they, they interconnect in a way that's irreparable and inseparable. Mm-hmm. And so the thoughts that we think and the things that we believe, though they're not tangible, create tangible and real etched grooves or neurosynaptic patterns, like actual connections in our brain. And so to rewire, it's like, it's like, if you've ever, my husband does our own electrical around our house. He, he likes electrical things. He, it's what he does. Yeah. It's great. Saves me hundreds of dollars. Unless it's something really big that's outside of his purview. It's great. Yep. Right. Yep. Someone talking to you. No, I'm doing same, same <laughs> over here. I'm like, as long as yeah. it's not illegal, everything's permitted and good. Yeah. Yeah. No, and he doesn't. He's passed inspections every time we've got it permitted. But <laughs> when you watch him take a tangle of wires out of something yeah. 
and he has to change the wiring, he has to physically disconnect and reconnect in a different way. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens in our brain. And Barbara Hussain goes into great detail and she has all the research to back it up. There's a huge newer body of work around this in neuroscience that it is called neuroplasticity. So plasticity means the the flexibility of of something, right? It was thought for many years that neuroplasticity stopped at 30. God help me. At 30, we were done. Brain was locked in. There was no changing it. Dang. That sucks. How freaking sunk were we? Like 30? Oh my God. What they've discovered is neuroplasticity exists until the day you die. It's whether you utilize it and work with it. Now you can absolutely fall into rigid forms and, and, and rigid processes, but you can at any point in life until the day you die, change one of those neural pathways. Now it requires killing off connections and reconnecting new ones. Well, our brains are drug addicts. Let's just be clear. Our brains are drug addicts, right? Yes. And there are certain things that make our brains feel safe, normal, right? And ha- habitual thoughts, habitual beliefs, habitual doings are those things. There's a chemical that gets released in the brain that goes, oh, this is right. This is right. This is right. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it may even be something that doesn't make you feel good, but your brain goes, this is the right pattern. Yeah. But it makes your totally. brain feel good. Like your brain is like, yes, this is normal. Right. Right. Normal. Yes. Right. So when you start to kill off those old thought patterns, those old beliefs, you're not just changing the cerebral higher level thing. You're having to physiologically rewire your neurosynaptic patterns, your neuroconnectors. So there is actually death happening in your brain as new life is coming in. So our brains go, withdrawal, this feels wrong. You should be following this pathway. Why are we not feeding this pathway? And it freaks out. So it's very, that's why it's so easy, even after you've been doing something new and doing it well, and it feels very habitual, that one thing triggers you and all of a sudden you're back into this really old ingrained habit. Yes. We know this, we we can answer this question. I'm familiar with that. (laughs) I'm familiar with that. So the goal for, for me with coaching and with people and, and from my experience was the work I had to do wasn't just the outside work. The work that I really had to do, the work that really required the hard bits and the work that I had to go get external help to do was the inner work. And, and I had a really clear visual of it. I was standing behind a wall that I couldn't see, but I knew was there. It was foggy, it was thick, it was dark, it was sticky, and that wall was harder than concrete. And I had to get through it. I couldn't go over it, couldn't go under it, couldn't go around it, I had to go through it. Mm. And getting through it was something I was not going to do on my own in a timely manner. Mm. So I wanted the results, I knew the results were on the other side of that. I just had no idea how to chip a hole big enough. I didn't have to knock the whole wall down. I just had to chip a hole big enough for me to get through it. Mm. It didn't have to be huge. Just, just literally just big enough to get my shoulders and hips through, which is too wide. And then you could, and you could shimmy through. Then I can just get through. I can just get to the other side. Well, here's the thing. I did the work. It was painful. It was horrible. It was 
this, but I okay, did what, How did you do it though? What, what's so outside? I hired help? a vision and mission, a vision and mindset coach. Okay. Um, because I knew that's what I needed. Yeah. I didn't need a business coach. I didn't need, I needed a vision and mindset coach because the thing I noticed was in all of that chaos that had happened previously, yeah. I had emotionally, that wall was keeping me from my emotions. I am highly functional in a crisis. You want me on your team in a crisis because I get shit done. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Can say that. <laughs> you can definitely say that. I mean, I, yeah. I am head down, get it done, feel nothing, get the out of my way, done. Yes. But there's a cost to that. Yes. And the cost is my emotional connection to myself, mm. which then is a disconnect from spirituality the bigger universal spiritual, whether that you call that God, the universe Mm -hmm. source, whatever you call it. When you emotionally disconnect from yourself, you emotionally disconnect from spirituality. And when you emotionally disconnect from spirituality, you are in a dark, sticky fog all by your lonesome. It's a gross place to be. And I spent a long time there and I wanted out. So I went and hired a mindset and vision coach because I couldn't even, I was very good as an imaginative child. I had a crazy imagination. Mm. I could not imagine or envision anything beyond a month or two out. I had hmm. just limited myself so much in my thinking. Yeah. And that was the because coping mechanism at the time because yes. you were in crisis mode. And that was the whole functioning forward. Like in order right. to function forward, that's what you had to do. You couldn't think. Or feel or get emotionally invested. The odd thing was it meant that in my professional space, I had very limited emotional control because I had all of it. It was so compressed and compact and like the littlest thing would set it off. And then it was like Vesuvius and it was bad and it yeah. cost professionally and it cost me personally. And it, yeah. you know, cause it was just so, and so the pressure was so tight that anytime it got any release, it was way overblown. Yeah. And so I, I got a vision and mindset coach and we worked through all that. We chipped a hole through the wall. We got to the other awesome. side and I thought, okay, I'll be good now. I'm done. You're done. You get to just live coast the rest of your life. You're done. Guess what right? was on the other side? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What was on the other side was a whole pile of building material and a giant chasm and green grass was a little further away. And now I didn't just have to get through the sticky fog, which I could now see behind me. And that felt really, really good. Like I felt like I lost 300 pounds and you know, all I did was walk through that. Yeah. But now I had to build a bridge. Shit. I don't know how to build this bridge. I mean, I mean, I think I know how, but I don't know how, like there was a lot of that going on in my head. Yeah. And so the second half of working with the mindset coach was bridging what I had left to where I wanted to go in a way that created a healthy connection so that I Mm -hmm. kept the things that served me, left the things that didn't on that side of the chasm and walked Mm -hmm. to the other side and then got to see what opened up in front of me panoramically. Mm. So, That's the liminal space. I, we talked about that on a podcast with a podcast guest recently, the liminal between where you are and where you're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that space, figure out, like you said, what you keep, what you get rid of. And, and here's opportunity. the thing. I'm always, I can do it. My, I got it. I got it. I can do it. I'll figure it out myself. I got it. I don't need your help. I'm good. Mm. What I've learned and what I really have a much deeper appreciation for now is I don't got it. <laughs> I do need help. Sometimes a lot. <laughs> I always say it's been a joke. I say 
say that again. And normally, you know, I would have said it for like functioning forward, but I feel like that is the moment of say that again in this episode is you saying, I don't have it all. I can't do it all because it is so huge for all of us to say that and admit that it feels bigger. Yeah, than and that. I think for women that we have put on ourselves, I don't even think it's really cultural. I think it is self-inflicted. I think we culturally as women have self-inflicted this, that we somehow have to do and be and, and function completely all the time without assistance. Mm-hmm. Every successful woman you talk to, is like, oh, I have a team. And that team isn't just like my work team. That team is like mm-hmm. the person who helps me watch my kids. That team is somebody who cleans my house. That team is the person who brings me my groceries because I don't have time to grocery shop anymore. But wouldn't you like, say that men have always had a team, but no one asked them about their team? Because they've men always have had no a team. problem saying, I need you to go do this. Men mm-hmm. are natural, not all men. Granted, we're talking yeah. about stereotypes in large categories. Yeah. But generally speaking, Men are naturally hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Women are by nature community builders. And so there's always a consensus builders. Well, do we all want to get along and do this? And if nobody else does, then I'll go ahead and just take keep taking care of all of it. Yeah. Where men are like, okay, no, this isn't working. I'm going to be the leader here because there's no clear leader. You do this, you do this. Let's get the sun go. Mm. So I read a really fascinating book many, many years ago. And I think it's still in print. It was called Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. <clears throat> It was oh, snap. So, oh, but, right. But it's brilliant. And what it really talked about, what it was written by two psychiatrists, both of them practicing a husband and wife team. It was hilarious. It was very approachable, but it stuck with me because it was like the, so aha of the entire thing. Things like women externalized to solve problems, men internalized to solve problems. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. many communication problems have been caused by that alone? <laughs> right. Yep. I, you to solve my problem. Just listen so I can solve it out loud. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is it's like, there's, it's this, as we said, we're speaking in general terms. So it's one of those things, like if it comes across in that it's, these are like things we can remember in all areas of our life, all genders, all, all that stuff. Right. Like it's just recognize then that we're different, but yes, stereotypically it's in those. We are neurologically wired differently, physiologically Mm -hmm. different. Our wiring in our brain is physiologically different between males Mm -hmm. and females. Just Mm -hmm. is. There's no, there's no, well, everybody's equally. And they talk about this too, about the equal, and I'm going on total tangent, but the equal versus what equality really means. We've equated equality with same when -hmm. in fact, equality should just be opportunity Mm -hmm. because we are not the same. I don't want to be a guy. I think like a girl because I am one, right? Like, yeah, that works for me. So in leadership, having different males and females creates actually a better organization. Again, this is my old corporate consulting that I used to do, but because they think so differently or wired so differently, but men naturally are hierarchical. They are who's in charge. I can't, my husband says men to hunt dinosaurs. We need to know who's going to go first and who's going to go last. (laughs) You know, I'm like, yep, yep, that makes sense. Met John Dinosaurs, perfect. Fit. <laughs> um, so, you know, that that's part of it. So I think that that's where women kind of fall down is that we've, as culture has gotten more and we are working in more male-dominated spaces, we also try to maintain all the female-dominated spaces and don't say, hey, if we're going to do this as a team, let's divide this. Let's be an actual team. Let's mm. have a team. And what we can't do personally amongst ourselves, then we need to figure out how to outsource that. 
And there's no shame in that. But I think there is a lot of people are like, oh, you have a house cleaner. You must be like super rich. I'm like, no, no, I don't do my nails. I barely do my hair. And I pay for house because I need somebody else to clean my house twice a week or, or twice a month. Like, like I can take that wow. off of my plate. Wow. Yes, please. And thank you. Yeah. That's my yeah. thing. Yep. Um, we all have our things. Yeah. So it, 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 that was the biggest thing was figuring out yeah. that I needed the help and going in, getting the help and then showing yeah. up when the work was hard and uncomfortable. And I really, really did not want to open that suitcase and see what was in it. Cause it was old and dusty and there was shit in there. I did not want to see the day. Like, <sighs> yeah. But that's where but we have to go. Yeah. Yep. That's where I we need to, know to go. What was coming with me and what wasn't. And you have to look at it. Um, yep. And that was interesting. So, you know, that was the big thing for me. And so that was why in September, of, yeah, right in the middle of a pandemic, because this is a good time to launch a brand new business or relaunch a business. I um, I changed oh, that yeah. coaching coach into have strategy coaching. And we went into awesome. the holistic coaching, the one-on-one, as well as the small group coaching. So yeah. that we could do that more mindset empowerment, as well as the house. Um, yeah. Because- Without the inner work, the outer work won't stick and it won't make the changes. And I deal with a lot of people who struggle with weight and I'm not a weight loss coach, but one of the things I find with with people who have weight issues is that it's not necessarily what they're eating or doing. It's what they're thinking and believing. And Mm -hmm. it sounds so, well, I could just believe myself skinny. That's such garbage. (laughs) It's the perfect example is I have a client who has always envisioned herself fat because that's what her mother told her she was. Mm-hmm. Her daughter was looking at pictures of her as a kid. And she's like, mom, you were super skinny as a kid. And she, her immediate thought was, no, I wasn't. I was like, but you have photographic evidence saying differently. But that's not the kid I have in my head. Mm-hmm. I can relate so to that. I mean, not my mom, thank God. You know, I don't, my mom did not. And she worked very hard not to, but that's like, for me, because I was always like, just bigger, like I'm taller, just, you know, yeah, curvier. Um, yeah, so, you know, in my brain, it was like, I'm bigger than my friends. So therefore if I'm bigger than this little petite person, that must mean I'm big and it's just become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's it for me mean that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You made it wrong. You made yourself yeah. being different. Oh, 100%. Wrong. And that's for me, like I lost weight. I've in two times in my life, I've lost huge chunks of weight. And I feel like I did it overall, like healthy. And I thought I was doing everything right. But I've said this time, like there's obviously internal shit that needs to get worked out because no matter how much weight I lose, I still need to lose more. And now Facebook, because it pops pictures up and I see pictures over the last seven years. And I can remember like a picture being taken Mike, we had these family photos done, like our only professional family photos done. And I was three pounds away from the weight I wanted to be that day. Like I kind of set a goal. Goals are good. Yay. And um, I didn't hit it. So I felt like crap, like all day, just like, oh, oh, I didn't hit my goal weight. Three freaking pounds. And I look at the pictures and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so thin, you know, relative and those pictures. But at the t- I can tell you exactly how I felt that day. I felt like it was hopeless. It was well, I'm just going to be fat. So rather than celebrating the fact that you were within three pounds of your goal weight, you were punishing yourself for being not at your goal weight. And mm-hmm. that's what I hate about goal weights. Like goal weights are good, 
but they just need to be written down and put away and forgotten about seriously. And the other thing too, is that people need to understand thin is not, is not equivalent to healthy. And the medical industry has done a huge disservice to people in conflating those two as the same. I love that word conflate. Um, That is a big word. Conflating. Um, But they do, they make those two things the same thing and they're not, they're not. I met so many people who are unhealthy and skinny and I meet Mm -hmm. people who are bigger who are like, I'm fat. I'm like, but how's your blood work? Can you walk a mile and not lose your breath? Can you walk Mm -hmm. two? I walk five miles a day. I'm like, you're not unhealthy. You just don't like the the, the size you are. You don't like the way you look. Not liking the way you look is different than being unhealthy. Yeah. So let's start with, let's, let's start right there. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Cause it's like that for me, like, that's why for me, when like the stress of life, and then you just add a pandemic on top of all the other stressful stuff going on, it was like for the self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, like I am this person who, you know, X, Y, Z. So even though I eat my not- feelings, okay. So yeah. now you've given yourself the excuse to eat your feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are and you then- really that person? Or are you just allowing yourself to be that person? Again, it's the whole, you get yeah. to choose thing. Like the first few yeah. times my coach would say that to me, I really literally wanted to throw puncher. I was <laughs> like, I don't know if I could say this, but F you. you like you can say, we can say whatever you want. F you like, no, I don't get to choose like shit all over me. This isn't mm-hmm. a choice. She's like, no, you don't get to choose the life. You get to choose how you respond, which is so funny because yeah. in the middle of all those crises, I used to say that. I don't get to choose anything here, but how I respond. Um, I get to choose nothing about life except how I show up and how I respond. Yeah. And that made all the difference in the middle of that crisis. I always showed up positive. I always showed up on top mm. of it. I always showed up with a plan. Whether that plan mattered in the end, didn't matter. But I always chose mm. to show up a particular way. And the days that I didn't choose to show up good, oh, it was bad. Things were really, really bad. And I watched other people choose to show up a hot mess every time. Hmm. Well, I don't understand how you're so strong. I don't, I couldn't be that strong. I'm like, yes, you could, you could choose to be, or you could choose not to be. And I've hmm. seen both choices. And so I think, so then I'd gone through all of that and somewhere along the line, I forgot that. Yeah. And so when she tells me, well, you know, you can choose how you want to show up, how you, your life, you can choose how mm-hmm. you feel. I was like, when does this get to be easier? When does this get to, when does it actually work? When do I get to feel unstuck? She goes, when you choose to. I was like, no, it can't be that simple. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's almost like the coping mechanism of when you were in that chaos mode, it's like the choosing was comfort, Yeah. but it sounds like it's like equated with chaos. So right. If you just right. want to move forward, like, I don't want to have to choose how I show up because life's not chaos. Can't life just be good? So I don't have to keep choosing. Right, right, right. But, but like, no, <laughs> we have to keep choosing. Well, as we wrap it up, all right, I want you, now I know you have a program and all this stuff and we'll wrap up of like, tell people how they can get in touch with you and all that. But because you've teased so much about the hows and whatnot. I want you to lay me with some quick, like, all right, get your, you know, it's not motivation, it's self-discipline and super simple. So give me some like hot takes of like, yes, drop some major wisdom on me to get my shit together. That's what I'm asking. So the way that I sort of put it all back together for myself and started back on my own path to write and to whole and to, to feeling my best and my most well was 
a morning routine, but I actually started with a night routine. It was a nighttime routine first because the nighttime routine was easier for me to do than the morning routine. Mm. Um, so I started with a nighttime routine. Um, just, we all do it. We all have a nighttime routine. It's just modifying it so that it better serves you and sets you up for success the next day. How mm-hmm. you go to bed really changes how you wake up in the morning. Yeah. It also changes the quality of your sleep and sleep is absolutely tantamount to health. Yeah. If you want to lose good. weight, sleep good. Mm. People are like, no, I'm like, yeah, sleep yourself slim, sleep slim. You know, sleep mm-hmm. is really, really critical. And I don't mean more hours of it. I mean, quality sleep. Quality, yeah. Bottom line is, there is, unless you are a genetic, you have a genetic mutation and there are, there are about 10% of the population who has a genetic mutation. You need seven or more hours of sleep every night as a human mm-hmm. being. Not six, not five, seven. Eight to nine is probably ideal for most people. What happens in those seven to nine hours of sleep is full body cleansing is your body so people are like, I'm doing a cleanse. I'm like, oh, okay. We need to have the cleanse conversation, but that's separate. Your body literally scrubs itself from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, all on the inside. That's why when you wake up in the morning, you got to get on the toilet and flush that all out. True. It's the cleansing process. So I journal at night. I'm a night journaler. Mm. I call it my, my hamster wheel exit, right? <laughs> So I have a hamster wheel in my head and I get on these problems and they just go around and around and around until I'm dizzy and would really like off of it, please. Journaling for me externalizes whatever's stuck on that hamster wheel. It just mm-hmm. takes it off and puts it somewhere else. It doesn't solve it. It just yeah. takes it out of my space. So that was a I big like part. Externalizes so, it. That's good. Yeah. Nighttime journaling, a little bit of meditative music, some chanting. I listened to some of the um, yogic um chance I found a program that had some of those in it and I was like oh I really like these YouTube is full of them that was that's been really helpful and just calming the chaos in my brain because I my brain has a tendency to go to chaos but that's my default mode chaos and if I'm in chaos then if I'm just doing the basic things I'm functioning and I'm okay Mm -hmm. if I want to be productive gotta calm the crazy so that Mm -hmm. was kind of the big thing so food and nutrition plan your meals if you are a mom plan dinner, grocery shop one time, whether that's you order it or you go to the grocery store one time a week. This helps you with budgeting. This helps Mm -hmm. you know what you have in your house. Make sure that your pantry and your freezer are always well stocked. You need to be able to cook a meal at the drop of a hat without having to go to the grocery store to get something to do. And if you have a stocked pantry and a stocked freezer, guess what? You can do that. And if you regularly go to the grocery store on on a set day, I always tell Pick one day and do it consistently because that allows you to know exactly how much food you need in a week. It helps with the budgeting, but it also helps with waste. Mm. Okay. I bought four salads this week. We only ate two. I don't need to buy more than two salads a week. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, we go through, oh my God, we go through a ridiculous amount of berries in a week in my house. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's great. But I know. Um, find local sources for foods if you can. I have a local farm that I buy all my milk. And this is a side note, but non-homogenized, lightly pasteurized is what you would, is ideal for milk products. Long story, but that's what you need. I buy my eggs fresh. I buy my milk fresh. I buy meat from them because it's local, fresh, grass-fed, pasture-raised. 
mm-hmm. clean meat. Um, they have relationships with local farmers around them. So I can get fruits and vegetable boxes that are local. Mm-hmm. Go local as much as you can afford and as much as you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, that alone will clean up a lot of your food space mm-hmm. without having to think about if I'm eating clean or organic or whatever. Yeah. Um, know your local farmers. There are some local farmers who are right next to big highways. Not sure that I would eat the stuff that comes off of those because they get all the road chemicals, but mm. the ones who are definitely out in the country have good clean pastures. So get to know your farmers, yeah. check out their websites, check out their location, Google map them. Um, awesome. know where your food comes from. That's a yeah. really big part of it. Know where your food comes from. Um, and then standardize meals. And by that, I mean, pick five recipes that you rotate on a regular basis each day of the week. So my meal plan, my, my signature meal plan is we pick a protein a day and we rotate five recipes. So each month you get four of those five. So you always have something different. So you're not reinventing the wheel, but lots of variety, family friendly, everybody's eating healthy. We talk about how to like, I got a really picky eater. They'll only eat beige. We work on that, but you still make one meal. You are not a short order cook. Mm-hmm. You are mom. And I think that what I really hope legacy wise that I do is what my mom did for my family, which is create healthy eating patterns through the generations and not just for one member of the family mm-hmm. and not having to let our kids have to figure it out as adults because we didn't have our crap together and teach it to them as they were younger because it was hard to fight our kids to eat. Thank you for these tips. It is awesome. You, I loved the, that percentage shift. That's so good. So we don't have to beat ourselves up. We're coming out of this season. If this resonates, it's like, take those shifts. And so if someone, um, to get in touch with you, how can people get in touch with you? You can email me at that cooking coach at gmail.com. So I'm still that cooking coach on Gmail. I'm on Facebook as have strategy coaching, um, both a business page and I have a private free, free private coaching group. Um, We do lots of lives and demonstrations and we talk about all this stuff in detail. And I do have starting on the 19th. So I'm not sure when this will air, but on April 19th. Yeah, it'll be, oh, that's my anniversary and it should be after that. So perfect. So on April 19th, I have the six week program starting. The cart will stay open until the 21st. Um, So if people would like that, um, I have that. I will offer it again in the fall. So this is the last time it will be offered. I'll not offer it over the summer and it'll be offered again in the fall. But I have one-to-one coaching and I offer 45 minutes worth of free coaching for anybody who has, you know, brings a challenge and wants to talk about it. So um, thatcookingcoach.com, um, thatcookingcoach at gmail.com um, or on Facebook at Have Strategy Coaching. And um, thank you so much for having me. This Yay. So thank you. I appreciate you sharing so much about your story, your journey, and definitely the tools. Thank you for that. Because like I said, I know that we're all just coming out of these seasons and we're all in different places and kind of just knowing that there's resources out there and tips and whatnot is so helpful. And just knowing that we all have shit too. Just, you know, yeah. everyone's got and it. You don't, have to, you don't have to do it by yourself and you don't have to no. shovel it by yourself. Like that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's not your... It's not your burden to bear alone. And I think that's the thing that I've had to learn the most, right? Like yes. we're all mucking the stall, sweetheart. Let let somebody help you muck it. Like Thank no. you for that new analogy. I love it. That is a perfect way to end it. You do not have to shovel the shit alone. 
And that's a wrap for now. Thanks for listening to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. For all things flushing, visit our website at flushingitout.com. This has been a Spitfire production. That was the greatest thing I've ever heard.